I was going to try to make some sort of fucking shitty pun about that's a wrap, but that's for the end, not the beginning of a show. We just got to get started. So I don't know. We're talking about The Mummy. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. We're the Fried Squirms. We're going to get stoned, talk about horror movies. I just said The Mummy. You guys know. I've obviously already been smoking today. So let's just go straight into our green hits. And then while we're starting to smoke some weed, we got a little bit of extra news for y'all. Hell yeah. So this week... Brought over a joint from local dispensary here in Town Flower. Of course, one we go to a lot. But this strain I have brought over before. It's sugar cookie strain. It is a 50-50 hybrid. And it is crossed with the infamous Sensei Star, Crystal Gale, and Blue Hawaiian strains. It's known for its euphoric, happy, relaxing, and uplifting effects. The flavors and aromas both are buttery, vanilla, and sugary. And the THC somewhere in the 20s. I think this one's in the upper 20s. So it's a nice balanced high. Hell yeah. I mean, it's another week of Genius Jack because here's the thing. I was going to try to treat myself this weekend and get out and go to like some other dispensary that I normally don't go to. But like if you live in the Western United States, you know how fucking balls hot it is right now outside. So. Instead, I elected to stay inside as much as possible and go to the closest dispensary. Smart. So if you listen to any of our last few episodes, Genius Jack has come up a number of times. It seems to be a phenotype, maybe or maybe not exclusive to flower, of Jack H. So classic Jack H, pretty much everything, because we're not sure what they're (laughs) breeding for with this phenotype. Exactly, but... Nonetheless, I like Jack Herrer, and yeah, I'm enjoying it. Now, I said, this week we have a little bit of extra news. Technically, by the time you're listening to this, if you follow us on social media, you'll already know this news. If you only listen to us, we now have a Patreon. That's exciting. So, obviously, we're just starting this off, even though we've been doing this podcast for a number of years now. Still growing it. There's not much things that we can promise straight away. But the easiest thing for even the absolute lowest tier is you'll get all the shows a week early. You could have listened to this last week. Yeah, I mean, what are you waiting on? You could be on The Mummy 1959 by now. That's exactly right. But you're not. Because you're not on Patreon yet. Our Patreon. Patreon.com slash fried squirms. There are other bonuses up at the top level. You can get onto our Discord server, talk with us. The second level up, you'll get all sorts of extra bonuses, like when we went and saw Spiral a couple weeks ago, and you can hear what we thought about that right after the movie. And we'll continue to do shit like that, especially with more horror movies coming out this summer. Oh, dude, that's going to be a lot of fun. And once again, I am excited because we'll have all kinds of neat, exclusive content for our listeners. And yeah, basically, you can think about it like this. If you've been following us for a while, everything that used to be a half episode is now on the Patreon. Yeah. Anything experimental, probably going to be on the Patreon. Although I will say we started talking about how to do another Test Your Fright, and I don't think that'll be Patreon exclusive, although parts of it might be. Ooh, depending. You're right. So please join on. That'd be awesome. Help support us. That's patreon.com slash fried squirms. And we are going to try to get all sorts of real fun extra content out there for you guys. Hell yeah. For as little as $3 a month. The thing that we're both most excited about, you hit that top level, you also get a sticker. Hell yeah. Our logo. That's so badass. Our logo on a sticker. I don't even have one of those yet. 
Me either. Like, you're already more advanced than us. Go get it before we do. Anyway, we're smoking weed. We're going to talk about the mummy. We just plugged ourselves. Not in the way we normally do. So let's get, <laughs> let's get into the guts and bolts of 1932's The Mummy. Guts and bolts. All right, guts and bolts. Who and what went into the making of 1932's The Mummy? This is old school Universal. Dude, I'm so happy we did Universal. This, I think, is the oldest film we've reviewed to date. I think you're right. Yeah, because the last time we tried to go old and universal, we chose the youngest of the classic universal flicks by complete accident. But nonetheless, here we are. So to start off with spoiler free setup, I mean, this was remade a number of years ago. So some of this is just going to be familiar, like because nobody escaped the Brendan Fraser mummy. (laughs) And it's a weirdly accurate adaption in retrospect. Yeah, so Imhotep gets sentenced to death for trying to resurrect his lady love, and 3,700 years later, he comes back when people start reading from books. Like, shit happens with mummies all the time, so. Yeah, use deductive reasoning with that. (laughs) And he's like, I still got to get my lady love. Panic ensues. (laughs) What more can you say? I like it. All right, so from week to week, we like to talk about the people who go into making the film and the actors and actresses in front of our cameras. And this week, our director is Carl Freund, and this gentleman is responsible for such films as The Countess Monte Cristo, The Gift of Gab, and the film Mad Love. We have a couple of different writers on this. This was adapted from a story by Nina Wilcox Putnam and Richard Shear, and the screenplay was written by John L. Balverston. And Mr. Balderson has some interesting film credits to his name, mainly such things as Berkeley Square, which was a play and it was also adapted to a film. He's responsible for the play in the script, the 1927 play Dracula, and the 1931 script Dracula. Back to our director really quickly. You named off some of the things he's famous for as a director. Before that, he was a cinematographer and actually shot Dracula. Yeah, it's pretty dope, isn't it? Right. Yeah, a lot of these people, I mean, they work with the Universal, so it makes total sense. He also shot one of my favorite old movies. Nice. Um, He shot A Guy Named Joe. Steven Spielberg later remade A Guy Named Joe as always. Oh, dang. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Nice. All right. So, yeah, Balderson, he's also responsible for such things as The Bride of Frankenstein. That's the script for, and he wrote an early script for Frankenstein wrote a lot of screenplays, wrote a lot of stuff for the stage, so that's his claim to fame. Our cinematographer is Charles J. Stumer, and Mr. Stumer has some really cool credits to his name as well. Now, mind you, a lot of these people, man, they're from like the silent era, so a lot of those films are coming from out of that era, so unless you're hip on it, you're doing better than me. I'm just looking for some stuff that makes sense. So for him, he's got stuff like Black Beauty. I think the people are familiar with the story of Black Beauty. He's also responsible for 1935's Werewolf of London and the 1935 The Raven. Also the old silent hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. All right, the music was composed by James Dietrich. Although he wasn't credited, he went uncredited, he did compose the music. And just a couple of interesting things of note from him. He's the composer of King of Jazz, 
I worked in the music department for that, a 1930 film. The 1940 film Leopard Men of Africa. You can hear his work on the soundtracks for The Carnation Kid. And if you've ever seen the film Angela's Ashes, I have seen that. Man, the movie's depressing. <laughs> it's good, but whew. Yeah, you can hear his work on the 1999 soundtrack for that. All right. Special effects were done by John P. Fulton. And Mr. Fulton, once again, has got some really cool stuff to his name. So he went uncredited, although he did these special effects for the 1931 Universal film Frankenstein. He did work on the 1932 Murders in the Rue Morgue. Mm. Another silent film we haven't talked about, but I know it pops up in lists, and that is The Old Dark Horse from 1932. He's also responsible for some other really cool films like Son of Frankenstein, the film Zanzibar, The Wolfman from 1941, The Ghost of Frankenstein. Another guy worked in Universal, responsible for some really iconic makeup. All right. This was produced by Carl Lamel Jr. I'm going to point out, just because of the time period, also some very questionable makeup. Yes, the practices and the techniques, yeah. (laughs) Although iconic, yeah, very sketchy. And I only bring that up because of some of the actors in this have, at different times in their careers, been part of that. I'm looking at you, Karloff. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, (laughs) that's very true. All right. Production company and our distributor was Universal Pictures for the 1932 United States theatrical release. Had a release date on December 22nd, 1932 here in the States. A budget of an estimated $196,000. And the tagline that I have for this is a love that defied time drives a beautiful girl to her doom. Okay. Not bad. Uh, Look, legit. Better than some taglines I come up with today. Can't argue that, man. <laughs> All right, moving into the cast. Starting off with a gentleman we've talked about a couple of different times before. You've already mentioned him, Boris Karloff. I forgot how many times we've actually talked about movies with him in it, but I feel like every time we've brought him up, he's been overshadowed by something else we were talking about. Yes, really odd, but given how old he was in those films, it does kind of make sense. Right. So the films that we have reviewed were episode 86. We reviewed... <laughs> Coincidentally enough, The Raven from 1963. We also reviewed Black Sabbath from the same year mm-hmm. on episode 120. In this particular he film. He was an old man in the. That's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was kind of odd, but that's the way it worked. So he plays multiple roles in this film. Kind of a spoiler if you've never seen or ever heard of The Mummy. <laughs> I mean, this is supposed to be the spoiler-free section, but this movie's from 1932. It's like almost 90 years old. Come on. And Karloff is one of the horror icons. Yeah, if you're listening to horror, you're at least familiar with him. At least in the role. You know what? Even if you're not familiar... Boris Karloff is one of the biggest parts of almost everybody listening to this childhood. (sighs) Yeah. Good point, because of what we're about to mention, what you're about to mention. Because he's the fucking narrator for The Grinch. Yes, he is. The only the thing, iconic. He's the narrator and the voice of The Grinch. The only thing he doesn't do is the song, which was, um, the dude's name is, it's like Thoroughgood Ravenscroft or something Damn. like that. Damn. Dude's got a baller name, but I can't remember exactly what it is. It sounds like a coffee roast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look it up, but. <laughs> no, no doubt. So Boris, he plays the role of Ardeth Bay, 
Imhotep, which is also the mummy. Just oh, a, it's just Thurl Ravenscroft. Oh, damn, still, that's pretty close, man. Yeah. Good on you, dude. Hell yeah. So Boris, if he needs any other introduction, who I've already mentioned, he plays Frankenstein's monster in the 1931 Universal film Frankenstein. He is Frankenstein. Of course, man. If you think of what Frankenstein looks like, or the monster. He reprises his role as the monster in The Bride of Frankenstein and Son of Frankenstein, respectively, in 1935 and 1939. You already mentioned How the Grinch Stole Christmas, 1966, right, where he voiced the Grinch. He actually won a Grammy Award for that. It's like, damn, okay. So I think I mentioned this the last time we talked about Boris. Not that I confuse him anymore, but there was times where he and Abe Vigoda. <laughs> oh, shit. I can see that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, shit, yeah, that's not Boris. <laughs> So here's the crazy thing. Before Frankenstein, the year before this, he already had 80 movies under his belt. Wow. Because of all the different silent films and stuff he did. That's crazy, isn't it? Although a lot of those roles, he was either playing Arab or Indian. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about this, which is, it's a part of trivia, but I'm going to go ahead and knock it out. His born or his given name is William Henry Pratt, right? Uh, he's English. at least a quarter Indian, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, all right, makes sense. That's why he has the dark features mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So yeah, I was like, that's really cool, man. Yeah, because his father was half, and then there's an indeterminate amount on his mother's side. Yeah. So it's like, that's really interesting given this film as well. So a little side nugget there. Right? <laughs> yeah. All right. We have Zita Johan. She plays the role of Helen Grovner and Princess Anksu Naman. A few films from hers. She was in the film Luxury Liner, the film The Sin of Nora Morin, and the film Grand Canary. We have David Manners. He plays the role of Frank Wemple. Some films of note from him. He was in Dracula, and he was also in The Black Cat. We have Arthur Byron. plays the role of Sir Joseph Wemple. He was in Dracula. Frank, which one was the older one? Yeah. So Frank was Jonathan Harker, and Sir Joseph Wemple was Van Helsing. Yes. And he (laughs) reprised his role, too, as Van Mm -hmm. Helsing, I think, in a a later Dracula film. Yeah, which they played. So I guess it would be David was Jonathan, and Arthur was Van Helsing. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, because Arthur, coincidentally enough, plays Sir Joseph Wemple, who is the father of Frank Wemple, played by David Manners. (laughs) A uh, few films a note from Arthur, we have already mentioned, but they include 20,000 Years in Sing Sing, Marie Gallant, and The Whole Town's Talking. We have Edward Van Sloan, who plays the role of Dr. Mueller. A few things of him, actually, you know what? This guy plays Van Helsing. Oh, yeah, yeah, this guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but right. Edward Van Sloan plays Professor Van Helsing. He also played Dr. Waldman in the 1931 Frankenstein Here's something that's funny. It's not the same, but I was like, damn, he plays Dr. August Steiner in Behind the Mask. Oh, but it's, yeah. (laughs) It's not the rise of, I was like, dang, dang it. (laughs) Oh, I wanted to say he was in a 1944 serial for Captain America where he played Gregory. It was Lyman's aide. Yeah, for I think two episodes. It's kind of interesting. And his last role, it was in the Underworld story, 1950. All right, we have Bramwell Fletcher. He's Ralph Norton. He's the guy who kind of goes a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs in the oh, beginning. right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A few things of note from him. He was in the film Raffles, Svengali, Daughter of the Dragon, in the film The Monkey's Paw. 
And Noble Johnson plays the role of the Nubian. And this gentleman has a really cool film history, too. He's like, holy moly. People probably know him. I mean, if you watch old films, you know him. But he was in The Most Dangerous Game from 1932, King Kong from 1933, and Son of Kong from 1933. I mean, a history of other films, too. It's ridiculous. Dude, Noble Johnson, really cool guy. I wasn't sure when to bring this up. I looked him up, though, because something didn't look right with his makeup. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of realized what was going on. Noble Johnson is black, but they darkened his skin in this movie. Yeah. So this is kind of fucked up. He got a lot of work in the time period because black and white film that they used, a lot of the most common stock that they used sort of washed out black skin a little bit. Yeah. And he was already kind of light-skinned, so he didn't look white, but he kind of fell into the same category as Boris Karloff, where he looked, quote-unquote, exotic. Right, so he could play ethnic characters. So they would just use him as a template to basically darken his skin to whatever shade they needed. Man, that's fucked up. So he is black, but he's kind of in blackface in this movie. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Because it doesn't look right when you look at him. I agree. Almost as like, is he supposed to be, I mean, it says the Nubian, so you know, but it's like, mm, yeah, there's something off. But the other cool thing about him was he helped found one of the first studios that specialized in what was called race films at the time and was part of, I think, producing the first movie to treat black people as humans rather than racist caricatures. That's awesome, man. And at a certain point, like, the pressures became too much and he had to choose either, like, continuing to be an actor or just, like, running the studio full-time and... He was always an actor first, so that's yeah. kind of what he went with. But Understandable. But still, it's pretty cool, man. Yeah, just looking through a little bit of his history, too. It says he was good friends with Lon Chaney. Mm-hmm. He's a schoolmate in Colorado. So, yeah. Yeah, they went well They like went to elementary school together. Crazy. And then didn't run into each other again to like Hollywood, something like that. Yeah, it's pretty wild. But There's not know. much known about him. Like I tried looking up some information on him earlier when I caught some of what I did. I was like, oh, that's really neat. Like... There's only vague mentions that he has a brother, that sort of thing. Like, it's really weird. Like, most of the information about his early career is from, like, I think it's, like, the Hollywood African American Registry or something like that. I can't remember the exact name of it, but... That's interesting. That's cool. Yeah, anyway. Nice, but yeah, I mean, that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew. There's other people in this film, but they play kind of minor roles, so... You know, no discredit. Warnings. Uh... There, All right. There's some underboob? Yeah, yeah, there's some of that. There is a mention of sexual things, like very, 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 very slow. I mean, it's implied stuff, but mm-hmm. by today's standards, it's like not a big deal. Pretty tame. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I was going to say, I mean, there's, there's a, like There's some, a mummy in one scene. There's a little bit of spells slash magic per se. Yeah. So if you're averse to that, anything Egyptian-based with pharaohs and the such. If you're averse to calling upon the wrong Egyptian deity to be doing what you're trying to do. Yeah. Um, (laughs) If you don't like black and white films, old films, 
Legit, there's not much. I've been desperate saying. This, I know. Dude, at this like, point, I'm being fucking sarcastic, shit. But yeah, that's about it, man. I mean, this is pretty tame. And given it's 1932, once again. If you transported back to 1932, then there is one scene of violence that would have been kind of shocking for the time period. Oh yeah, because I was like, whoa, okay. For the time period. That's how you have to frame this. You know, you do have to think in those terms. I think I've seen more shocking things at like slumber parties. Mm. Like, oh shit. But there we go. Let's just get into how the mummy made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? Alright. So I kinda wanted to start this by getting the big pale white undead creature that's sitting in the middle of the room out of the way. This is a movie about a creepy undead being who fixates on a young woman and attempts to conquer her using his hypnotic powers. Her bland boyfriend and older advisor battle to save the woman's soul. It is also starring the guy that played Jonathan Harker and the guy that played Van Helsing. Dude, there's so many Dracula parallels. <laughs> it's, it is no coincidence, man. Uncanny. That was what I was Universal wanted to make sure they had another hit. Yeah, and plug and play, just change out the monster. Oh, okay, so here's the thing. Otherwise, this is Universal's first original once they've started in on their horror. Because Dracula's based on an existing IP. Frankenstein's based on an existing IP. This was them going, do you know what's in right now? Egypt. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Because Tutankhamun's tomb, right? Mm -hmm. 1922. And the curses and things of that nature associated with it. Plus you still have, like, pulp serial adventures maybe kind of not I'm not dying out by this time like uh, fucking Lovecraft's getting published around this time hello yeah there's some interesting things going on around this time period right so mm -hmm. yeah it's just weird because it's like almost leading into a whole different generation but the whole point being is this was a good time to, to kind of jump on that bandwagon of monsters and pulp stories and things of that nature yeah so, like, if you want to make sure that your next movie is going to do well, even if it's going to be quote-unquote original... Make it at least feel familiar, even we, if you ride the coattails of that. <laughs> which we kind of see with, see with the mainstream horror today. Mm -hmm. Fucking mainstream movies in general. Not even putting them down. I go see a lot of fucking mainstream movies. Not as much the mainstream horror we've talked about. That, right, but, right, right, right. We all have our limits. Mm -hmm. But... Not a bad thing. It's just interesting to see the trends even then, especially seeing them so clearly because it's Dracula. <laughs> Man, I was like, ooh, this is uh, very familiar in a lot of different ways. It's not the first time we've seen it, not even in Dracula, I mean. Though you could say it's set the foundation for some of that stuff, but we've talked about the romantic side and the coming back from beyond the grave and all that stuff, so... But here's the thing. Dracula's a great story. That makes this pretty good. Yeah, by default. <laughs> and you know what makes it even better than pretty good? Fucking Boris Karloff. Yeah, he was awesome, man. There so were, there were I enjoyed cool this. I did, too. There were sequences that I was not anticipating. And I was like, man, this film overall, it's not bad, dude, at all. Like, it beats a lot of modern-day films in a lot of different ways if you I mean, stack them. I was going to say, too, like... I had an easier time watching oh, this than I'd have some of the, like, 50s through 70s movies we've watched. 
We've talked about how some of those older films have sort of weird pacing. This is kind of a short movie, and as such, it kind of just gets into it and goes through it. Yeah, and you're like, there's there, always there was going a bit on. sort of in the middle that I tuned out a little bit. Yeah, that's to be given, but still easy oh. to follow. It hits the marks like it is what it is. But at least you don't for long stretches just fade out and like lose interest. Even though you like said you've seen this kind of stuff before, it's still entertaining as fuck. I enjoyed it. Although I will say almost straight off, I can't remember exactly the phrasing, but getting a little bit too gay with the sacred of virgins of Isis means something completely different these days. Yeah, because <laughs> well, not only that, I don't know if you read much into this as well. This film was considered pre-censor period. Because right, this was before Hayes Code. Exactly. So it fell, I think the year before, in 1933 or 34 was the Hayes Code. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, so censorship wasn't as tight. Yeah, there was a governing board, and the success of Dracula and Frankenstein sort of loosen things up a bit mm -hmm. to where they could have a couple scenes in this movie that if they would have tried to be throwing that out from the get-go, they probably would have been called out on. But then it doesn't really matter because shit got cracked down on real hard just two years later anyway. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it's considered a pre-code horror film. Yeah, but nonetheless, you're right. It's interesting thinking about that because there's some other thing, well, one specific thing later on that gets brought up that we're like, wow, 1932, really? I think one of the things I took away, though, from some of the opening of this movie is I feel like a lot of modern horror forgets just how scary something being fucking quiet can be. Yeah, you don't know where it's at, when it's going to come out. Any and of that. when you first see the fucking mummy start to move behind Homeboy. Yeah, and he's just plugging away. And you don't know what's going to happen. The whole fucking realm of possibilities open because, first off, a fucking dead-ass mummy shouldn't be moving. Oh, what the fuck is happening? And he's fucking silent as the grave. Dude doesn't know. Like, he can have his way with him in any way he fucking wants right now. Oh, yeah, he could have had him all kinds of different ways <laughs> if he wanted. Dude wouldn't know until it's too late. But you're right, the threat tied in with the silence, man, that is, it can be terrifying. I think it's it's easy to make it cheesy, so I understand why you don't see it more often, but when was the last time we saw somebody just break down into madness? Phew, it's been a hot minute. I'm trying to think. That's a good question, too. The first film that came to mind, and I don't know if this is the more recent one, but was it God Told Me To? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something of that magnitude, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I don't know, not very often, though. Yeah, because dude just cracks, once again. Kind of neat. Just, I was just like, okay, it's a little cheesy. But still, yeah. But I get it. Like, he just saw a fucking mummy get up yeah, and fuck you, off. How do you explain that? Yeah. Just went for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> that guy, just looking at him, kind of reminded me of Tom Hiddleston. Okay. Yeah, he does look a little like that. I'm, I was like, okay. okay. It might just be because I've been watching a shit ton of Loki lately. I don't know. That's okay. <laughs> That's cool. So something came into my mind when I was watching this. I was already pointing out earlier is like the iconic look for Frankenstein's monster. I'd argue he's kind of also the iconic mummy, but also not. Yeah, solid point. I think when most people think of the old mummy movies, they think of how he looks when he's first just standing there in the beginning. Yep. 
And not beyond that. And nothing beyond that. No, because I didn't Because either. he's Ardeth Bay for the rest of I like, who? <laughs> so, all right, cool. There was something I mentioned last night to a buddy of ours. I'll bring up here in a little mm-hmm. bit. That's something I, I noticed about not just him as the character, but him as a person. I'm like, Jesus, Murphy. I'll talk about it here in a little bit. Now I'm just curious. Yeah. It's nothing bad. I was just like, Phew. Okay. And that's when I started to get like, oh, shit, like the old Brendan Fraser mummy. Old. This is the old one. Um <laughs> But I'm like, oh, shit, they did a pretty good job with that. Because, like, he starts, like, all desiccated and stuff. But it's not long before he's, like, mostly human looking. Yeah, exactly. And, like, Ardeth... I love that fucking makeup job on Ardeth Bay. Looks good. I love how he looks, like, waxy and almost like a statue. But then he starts to move. Exactly. It's like, don't touch me. <laughs> don't, don't touch me. Just, uh... A little Eastern prejudice. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. (laughs) Shit. Dude, we've seen makeup, modern day makeup jobs that don't look that good for the effect that it was trying to pull off. It's not that it looks great, but he's supposed to look like a waxen dead corpse come to life. I think they did a good job. (laughs) Fucking nailed it. This isn't funny, but it was kind of funny. When Ardeth Bay was like, yeah, us Egyptians aren't allowed to dig up our shit, but, you know, I guess you guys are all white. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. But don't got them. Yeah, they're all white. (laughs) All white by me. (laughs) But but foreign museums can. I know, right? I mean, you know... That's how uh, you grease the hands, right? Mm-hmm. That's how that usually works. But, you know, he got what he wanted out of it. That's true. That's true, because he's did it all for the Nookie. That's right. That's <laughs> right. He waited 3,700 years for this moment. So you guys need to speed this shit up, like, right now. So I wouldn't want this in place of what we got. But I want a universe where we could have seen Boris Karloff in his prime. As the tall man. Damn. That would be dope as fuck. Yeah, that's no discredit to Angus no, at absolutely all. Absolutely but, but not. No, it'd be cool. Like, ooh, multiple ones? That'd like, because cool we've seen fucking multiple Bonds, multiple Batman, multiple fucking... Dude, yeah. Jasons. You can do multiple universe with Phantasm. They're already playing with that kind of shit anyway. Right. So... Boris Karloff is fucking <sighs> tall man? Yeah, dude. That'd be dope as fuck. I would have been down for that. Let's put it that way. I can't be down for it now. Yeah. <laughs> it's all too late. <laughs> it's it's even too late for poor Angus. Like, I know, right? Much less fucking Boris Karloff, but... Man. Angus Karloff. Boris Scrim. <laughs> Make it happen. <laughs> that voice, though. Not as deep as Angus's. Right, but still good. But carries a weight to it. His voice was good. It, really, it was really good. Yeah, I could have listened to him all fucking day. Yeah, smooth. His mannerisms are really smooth. The thing I wanted to bring up, since we're kind of talking about him anyway, there was a scene where he's in the temple with the scroll, and he's, you know, trying to do the spell and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But he puts out his arm, and it's just like, his veins were popping all over the place. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck, dude? I was like, those are some veins. I don't know, what kind of work was he doing, man? What kind of... Oh, I know. And he was in his 40s at this point, like his early 40s. 
Yeah, because I was going to say, by 32, he had been, like, doing movies for a bit. But, like, I know back when he was doing mostly theater, he was, like, doing, like, construction and odd jobs and shit. Same, man. His his vascular system, his veins were... I know this is a weird tangent, but I'm just like, holy shit. He must have been in some really good shape back then. Like, really good shape. That's what I'm saying. You know he was fucking in good shape. Goddamn Noble Johnson. Dude. (laughs) The fuck gets the ring, jeez. <laughs> That's Did you the, see? They, yeah. I, I see every fucking every fucking little bio I brought up of him brought up the same fact: six two two fifteen. It's like damn, what he was like. Dude's literally built like a linebacker. I was about to say that, like literally about to say linebacker. And he's in shape. I mean, right now that's like, like almost all of his roles involve his shirt being off back in the day. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, I guess you know why not. Like, I wanted to see more of him. I wanted to see Nubian throw down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, he's got subdued. He's like, kiss the ring. <laughs> Bow down, kiss the ring. Bow down. But I did enjoy that part. Like, as a kid, I was into Egyptology and stuff, and then it didn't help. I mean, it did, but it didn't help. I mean, sarcastic with Stargate and then mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And this, you know, one of those films that lends, even though some of it's, you know, made up, but still lends its hand into uh, that side if you're interested it still plays with you know the deities and kind of the the mysticism behind it and stuff like that it's kind of neat they use bast wrong yeah but i've seen people try to say emotep's wrong there is a historical emotep right like it's just the same name that's it they don't try to make him that emotep at all they name which pharaoh he served and it's not the same one exactly even the makeup if you've read any that was supposed to resemble i think like was it Ramses? And instead it ended up resembling some other. Uh, maybe it was Seti. Maybe yeah. it was Seti, something like that, yeah. But regardless, like, uh, wh- whoops. Well, it was designed to look like one, but ended up looking almost exactly like a different one. Right, so they just roll with it. <laughs> yeah, nonetheless, nonetheless. They played around with some ideas and concepts, like, you know, the whole Scroll of Toth and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's not real, but, right, right. you know, they were loosely basing on off of other things, maybe perhaps the Book of the Dead and things of that nature, but... The stuff with Osiris and Isis and that story makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. So they played a little bit with that. But something I was not anticipating, and I think this has more to do with the film being digitalized and polished and all that good stuff, was when he was doing his spells in that little pool he had. I was like, damn, that should look good. <laughs> Dude, the po- <laughs> I made a note that fucking... Modern Hollywood needs to remember how good just fucking dry ice floating on top of water looks. Dude, I was like, that looked good as fuck. <laughs> what are you doing? What the heck? What? Some of these shots look very modern, too. Like, damn, this film looks polished, Some but it looks good. Some of the shit did not, though. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, it does, it does not have not flaws. When he's showing her in that fucking pool, like, this is what I did for you. Uh, yeah. You can tell he was a silent film star. Or not star, but you can tell he did silent film throughout that entire sequence. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I don't know how to describe silent film overacting, but it was there. <laughs> 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 Him taking the fucking thing out, like doing the sneak over and like yeah. <laughs> touching it and sliding it aside and shit. That fucking had me cracking up. But, you know, they were emphasizing these, I guess... You know, if you're going to do a silent film, you kind of have to. 
So here's the thing that surprised me most. This is going to kind of jump towards the end a little bit. So we can back up to whatever. But ZD Johan don't need no man. Dude, fucking Helen takes care of it herself. Right, exactly. In 1932. Polar opposite of what this film is kind of setting up. You release this film today, somebody's going to yell that it's too woke. 1932, people. 1932. Way ahead of its game. She fucking takes in all of Ankus Naman takes in all of her memories, is like, I am her, but I'm also still Helen. Yeah, she's aware. She woke. And then is just like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good on this. Yeah, I'm not down with this. I'm good. And none of the dudes show up till she's already done. Right. She took care she's of it. She's got it. She's already talked to Isis. She's got this. She took care of that shit. That fucking blew my mind. I was not expecting that. I thought fucking... Jonathan Harker was going to show up and save the fucking day. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what they're setting up. obviously had Jonathan Harker and Van Helsing. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just different names, but same kind of roles. These guys are a little too late. And you know what? I feel bad saying this because I feel like they were actually good in other movies, but, like, they played those roles just as bland as they are. That's all. Like, yeah. Jonathan Harker is such a bland fucking role. It really is. And I don't yeah. think that's the actor's fault, but, like... The John, what what was his name? Frank, Frank Wemple. Frank Wemple, yeah, is just as bland as Jonathan Harker. It's just basically the same character, essentially, with even less to do. Yeah, he was just there to finish, you know, whatever kind of work. His whole point was just get our girl out the grave, man. That fuck, that shit was weird. I was fucking cracking up when <laughs> within like ten minutes of meeting this chick. He's making out with her on the couch after she's just had a fucking fainting fit outside the museum. It's like, ooh, I was like, ooh, that's kind of like rapey. <laughs> but then one of his next scenes, after he just got done making out with the chick within 10 minutes of knowing her, he's like, oh, do you think I have a chance with her? I'm like, bro, yes, obviously. Uh, well, obviously. maybe obviously not. Like, maybe I could see her just like getting her jollies and telling him to fuck off. Helen yeah. seems like that next, kind of chick. Next, moving along. Because even when they were for, when he was first starting to say shit at her, like she was fucking witty and funny coming back at him. What was her fucking line? The she says something to Magnifique. She's like, I know I'm paraphrasing, but she's like, after this exciting night that she's had, she's like, do you expect me to? Oh yeah, it's, make um, love to a stranger or something like that. I have enough energy. With the excitement, yeah, it's like with the excitement this night already has, do you think I need to add on the excitement of a stranger making love to me? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like, whoa, that's what I'm getting at. It's like, whoa, 1932, damn. Dude, the line was fucking beautiful. Sort of shut down his thoughts for the rest of the night, but she's like, look, like, I still think you're cool. Like, yeah, we're going to make out a little bit. It was like, she's fucking with him. (laughs) And he's like, all right, I mean, you know, okay, I get it. But yeah, I thought that was really cool, man. There's things like that, like I already mentioned. I was not anticipating a little spell and pool routine. I thought that was really cool. I know I already kind of brought it up a little bit earlier, but once again, when I was watching this, I do think Arnold Vosloo in the Mummy remake took a lot of his physicality from shit that Karloff was doing. Mm. The way Karloff, like hovers and like crouches over top of the pool when he's doing all the different shit and the way he leans into talking with different people and shit. I was like, I've seen this before. 
Yeah. I've, I've seen some of this before. I see you. <laughs> I was like, fucking way to go. Somebody did their homework. Like, that oh, makes me awesome. appreciate that even more. And I have a feeling we're not going to do it right away. But I do feel like, even though it's more of an adventure movie, we might have to talk about the Fraser and Mummy at some point. That'd be fun. Even I think perhaps. it counts because it's a remake of That's this. A, yeah, even perhaps a crossover. Right. Ooh, that could be fun. Yeah, so, I mean, it has possibilities is what I'm getting at. I kind of, I mean, we've talked about the Dracula thing, but I kind of like how they even sort of had the little bit of, like, weird, super tense, but super civil scene of, like, they're even all in a room together, just like, you know, you guys can't stop me, right? Yeah, he's like, he had the shine. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, shit, I know you're too strong right now. I ain't oh, trying dude, to fuck with you. The close-ups on the eyes. Yeah, that was pretty good. That's probably the one other thing that people remember from this movie, because that's the still that's always used. Oh, without a doubt. For good for reason. Good, I was going like, to say, that's a good for stare. obviously good reason. Yeah, it is. Two things I found funny, and they do the same thing, was I'm trying to think if it was Sir Wemple, or I think it was, maybe it was him. One of the guys had photographs, and they were shown to Ardeth Bay, and he's like, I've got something I want to show you. <laughs> <laughs> is the mummy but the way they do it it's just you know they do a still mm-hmm. of it obviously he's not holding it and they're looking at it together <laughs> but they do it again a little bit later on but then they do it with the Isis figure oh, yeah they do that too he's like I've got this <laughs> and they just kind of hold it like that's kind of funny that scene where they're showing him the mummy and stuff I kind of liked how they were like kept trying to trip him up and he was just like yeah so why are you showing me the mummy and they're like, yeah, you were able to read this. And I'm like, yeah, because it was posed to this time. And they keep trying to trip him up. And he's just I like, was on it. I ain't falling into this shit. I'm the one that has been around for 3,700 years. Hello, bitches. <laughs> Although he was caught in a tomb most of that time. but Yeah, but still. Once he regained whatever little strength he got, he was on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like he can probably do like some magic matrix oh, download knowledge or something. Oh, yeah. We've seen a little bit of what he can do. Right, I mean, he's got the fucking OP stop your heart power. He's got that. He's got the, you know, kiss the ring. <laughs> Subservience. You know, the stop the heart thing, though, does seem to take a bit out of him. Yeah, we've seen that. It, you're right. Especially Which the first the I first kind one. of appreciated because it explains why he's not, doesn't just wipe everybody out. Right. He has powers, but he's not at full strength. Mm-hmm. He's getting there. He needs his ride or die. I guess basically all around, this was pretty well fucking done. Yeah, yeah, for 1932. <laughs> I can only imagine going to the theater, right? Sitting there watching this. And there are some things that you've probably never, ever considered or thought of that this film does. Oh, yeah. So I was going to bring up the extremely violent segment for 1932 is him being buried alive. Yeah, that was pretty gnarly. And him, yeah, like... Mm-hmm. Them that like was, wrapping him up against his will. That's really wheelchair. well done. That, I would even say the off-screen death that mm. he pulls off in the museum, you know, where you see him, he gets caught. He's like, oh, shit, I got the scroll. I got to get the fuck out of here. And the guard presses it, and he, you can hear him off screen getting snapped. Well, they even jacked the dog up off screen. As I'm saying, there's some liberties they took. Like, damn, 1932, okay. I mean, yeah, it was pretty fucking good. Now, look behind the scenes. We almost did Dracula. Kind of glad we went this route instead. Yeah, likewise. Nothing against Dracula. Nope, nothing against it. Nothing Enjoy against it. Bella Lugosi. Nothing against him. <laughs> nothing against uh, Frank Wemple and. <laughs> uh, oh, is it David Manners? Yeah. Van Sloan. But 
like we had said earlier, we had only ever really brought up old Karloff on this show. That's a solid point. We only brought him up when his older years. And young Karloff is so fucking good. fantastic. He has such amazing screen presence. Yeah, you could say, like, if it wasn't for him in that role, this film would have felt really stiff. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean... Some of the characters, I mean, they're, they are kind of over the top. Helen grew on me, but she wasn't my favorite from the get-go. No, she was... De- yeah, even, like, her romanticizing the old Egypt to modern-day Egypt. Mm-hmm. It's like, ooh, okay. I already sort of commented on the others. They're as bland as they're supposed to be, but that makes them bland. Yeah. No the seasoning. fucking... <laughs> the other adventurer with his father, the, he, the fucking mustache guy. Oh. He was kind of a fucking... I got a kick out of him. He was all over the place. He was an asshole, but <laughs> yeah. he at least was interesting to watch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree with you there. What can you say? But yeah, like I so said, overall, not a bad film. One other scene I do want to bring up that was kind of funny was you've kind of already mentioned it in a way where Ardith, he shows up to, I guess, the Wumples or whatever, mm-hmm. and <laughs> they were hiding the scroll. Oh, yeah. And he, you know, he calls out, he's like, I know you got it. He just calls him out, and that one guy is like, no, it's at the museum. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, shame. Like, damn, obviously <laughs> you hit it. I thought this shit was funny. That was a good scene. Shouts them out. <laughs> it was so awkward how he was just kept staring at Helen while carrying on conversation with the rest of them. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right, playboy. It was yeah. good, though. It was good. And he did eventually, like, break away. Like, yeah. He's, he's like, like oh, oh, yeah, I have to, like, play cool. not be fucking. Totally weird, or else they're going to do something to me right now. Yeah. Oh, I'm stroking out over here. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Fucking stroking one out over there. Whatever you got to do. Get yourself right. So the no touching him, like, do you think he felt, like, crunchy? Probably a little bit. Like, he still wasn't, you know, all the way, I guess, human-like. Yeah, he probably still has some crunch on him. (laughs) Coincidentally enough, like, what was it? bloody sunday like Ooh. she still had her shit not all right underneath right he might have been like that because we never saw underneath the robes that's right we didn't see not that we needed to but we didn't see that mummy cock <laughs> let's see that that mac cock <laughs> he has it all wrapped to his leg yeah he does <laughs> wrap it up b that way he wasn't just hitting people in the face the moment he saw helen again after <laughs> 37 hey, damn baby years. girl <laughs> yeah so I guess it was interesting, like some of the things we've already mentioned. And the fact, too, the you know female part in this film isn't relying on the guys to save the day. Right. And just some of her line deliveries and her overall demeanor and attitudes. Like, wow, that's, that's Honestly, awesome. the guys really don't need to be in this movie other than, like, getting her home from her first attempt to go to his place. Right. And that's Which, by just... the way, probably would have still ended up in her favor. Like, they probably didn't need to rescue her. He probably could have went outside, picked her up, did all of the ritual that he was going to do, and she was going to make the same decision. Yeah, it was unbeknownst to him at the time. <laughs> you could remove the guys, and it's just a shorter movie that like, comes to the same conclusion. 20 minutes. Minute, yeah, short film. Because she isn't about that. I'm not about that life. <laughs> <laughs> and she ain't afraid to make it known. No, so I liked it, man. Yeah, it's fun. Once again, I think to go back and visit these films or revisit in some cases and yeah see where kind of some of these things start at universal like damn this fucking good one dude 
And as good as this was, I wish it was more complicated so that we could be like, so what about the themes of this? Ah, uh, no, no it's not that. It's like, what's the themes of Dracula? <laughs> yeah, so whenever we, we do talk tackle about Dracula. That. We've talked about vampires. Dude, yeah. We know that shit. Ad nauseum. We, didn't, we, yeah, we did fucking whole Vampire Month back in the day. Dude, yeah. And we've done a few since as well, so yeah. we know. We've been knowing. That being said... <laughs> We have figured out next week. Ooh, what is it, Tyler? 1959's The Mummy. <laughs> Starring Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Dude, that is so boss. We've done Lee a couple times. We've never done the iconic pairing. No, Lee that's, and I'm Cushing starred that. in a lot of movies together. I can't wait to see that chemistry. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. And it will also be slightly different than this, because although it's named The Mummy, it is more accurately a readaptation of 1940s Hand of the Mummy. Yeah, that would get it confused. <laughs> so there's that for whatever it's worth. <laughs> I guess we'll find out exactly what that means next week. But for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Out. Hi everybody, Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network, uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, The easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. You can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. Not going to give you all those ats. So, with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace. <laughs>